Yeah, well, let, let's dig in. Hello, everybody. I'm David Cooks, and I tell you what. We know that paralysis can take on many forms. It can be physical like mine, or it can be psychological. And what we try to do is feature stories that go from difficult places to fulfilling purpose. What seems impossible done by you. Wow, we are in for a treat today. He serves as the lead pastor of Growth Point Church in Lexington, Kentucky. It may knock you down, but don't let it stop you. And he is the CEO of Mario J. Radford & Company, which is designed to help others embrace their unique design. When I was young, my uh, grandfather said, oh, he's going to play the piano. And they said, you know, just because he hits a few notes, you know, right, that doesn't mean he said, no, he has the fingers and he's going to play. And ultimately I did. Well, my grandfather had had a stroke and was limited in what he could play. I would mimic what he did uh, because that's what I knew. Later on, I realized that I was mimicking his limitations. I had limited myself because I, you know, revered him. And it wasn't until I got a piano teacher that said the reason that he plays like that is because he had a stroke and his fingers are not able to stretch. But your fingers are. Uh, so don't don't uh, put a cap on your um, possibilities based on his limitations. Got so much to give, a lot of life to live. You must go from paralysis to purpose. Get your pen and paper out. Yeah. I'm taking notes. Paralysis to purpose. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paralysis to Purpose to Podcast. I'm your host, David Cooks, and I tell you what, I get to speak with some of the most intriguing and inspiring people on the planet. And today is no exception. But before I introduce our, our guest today, let me take the time to thank you, those of you who are listening to this podcast today, for leaving a review, sharing this, and telling somebody else about it. Oh, yeah, hit the like button, too. All those things help us as we continue to move Paralysis to Purpose to podcast forward and impact lives around the world. Wow, we are in for a treat today. He's a musician, a speaker. Uh, he has a podcast called Uniquely Designed that he's a part of. He's an actor and author. He is a pastor and he does a lot more. He's gotten his uh, undergraduate degree from Kentucky State University. He went to a historically black college. For those who don't know what an HBCU is, I thought I'd just say it that way, that way for you. Um, he serves as the lead pastor of Growth Point Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And he is the CEO of Mario J. Radford and Company which is designed to help others embrace their unique design. Um, he's a married man, um, happily married with three children, and I know that he is proud to be a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. Um, all of those things are who Mario J. Radford is, and I am so glad to have Mario with us today. It's interesting, every time I was thinking about having you on, I just interviewed Mario J. Brown, um, not too... <laughs> Sometime this week, and Mario is a musician and a producer in in in, in the gospel music industry, uh, and so I had to make sure I said Radford and not Brown because then you know I'd be calling you something different. Enough of that. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, and the fact that he has the middle initial J, that um, we've got to find out what connection there might be somewhere. <laughs> so that that's that is, that is wonderful. So thank that, you for having me. Hey, no problem. Uh, well, Mario, um, again, thanks for joining us. I, I want to begin with this whole idea of embracing your unique design. 
Um, what do you what do you mean by unique design? And 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 give us a context so we can talk to our listeners today about unique design in today's culture. Yes. Uh, well, first, um, earlier when you mentioned about an HBCU and coming to Kentucky State, I'm actually at Kentucky State right now um, in someone else's office. So I'm not in my normal office helping uh, with some of the students here at the Upward Bound program, which I am also a product of as well, being an Upward Bound student. I believe that a lot of that helped to shape um, who I became and who I am, um, not just as a you know student, um, but I remember earlier um, in life, um, I had a, I was playing the piano when I was nine and I started when I was nine and my grandfather used to play um, as well. My great grandfather that is played. So it skipped my mother, well, skipped his son, skipped my mother and went to me. When I was young, my um, grandfather said, oh, he's going to play the piano. And they said, you know, just because he hits a few notes, you know, right, that doesn't mean he said, no, he has the fingers and he's going to play. And ultimately I did. Well, my grandfather had had a stroke and was limited in what he could play. So he would only play in the key of E flat. I think that was the only key he could play in. And he would play his bass with one finger. He would play chords in the other finger, but he would play the bass only like with one finger. I would mimic what he did uh, because that's what I knew. Later on, I realized that I was mimicking his limitations. I had limited myself because I, you know, revered him you know, and I only wanted to do what he did. And it wasn't until I got a piano teacher that said the reason that he plays like that is because he had a stroke and his fingers are not able to stretch, but your fingers are. Uh, so don't, don't uh, put a cap on your um, possibilities based on his limitation. Wow, and I feel like that, that helped to shape or start me. One of my earliest memories start me in embracing um complete package of who I could be. It's interesting that you saw in your grandfather something that um, was worthy of becoming. Um, but that wasn't all of it, though. Um, and that that's so interesting that you had limited yourself based on what somebody else's gift was. Can you, can you talk about um, finding your gift and and the the importance of not putting a ceiling on your own abilities? I think that we oftentimes uh, become what we see um, or it is the first introduction to what we can become. Um, oftentimes, if you grew up in the house of a lawyer, you saw talks of laws and those type of conversations or a politician or a pastor or uh, many other things. That was the first example. Or if you saw abuse or if you saw uh, dysfunction or you saw the absence of a father or a mother, then that sometimes took you on a different journey as well. Um, I believe as it relates to our gifting, um, I believe that for me, where the more than a preacher came from is that I had knew I played the piano when I was young. I later on was able to, I, I was able, I sang before I played. Um, I had to learn, there's another story that I had to learn how to sing and play together because I lacked coordination skills and I had to eventually had to learn how to do both of those together. Wait a minute. Um, and, hold on, hold on. Because you know what? I'm, I used to think that, well, if you can play 
and you can sing, you could play. Not always. Not, not always. always. There's a lot of people that can, you know, there's a lot of people who are like in the uh, music industry. There are people who are writers, like they write music, but they can't play it. Um, for me, I could sing, but I didn't start playing until later. So I had a many years as a child just singing. I didn't develop the playing ability till later. So I knew how to sing without thinking, but to be able to play, I had to think and play and sing and whatever. And there was a lady that we affectionately called uh, Aunt Lois, I actually did a video about that name, Aunt Lois. And she told me, she said, son, you're going to have to learn uh, how to play and sing together. And I said, I don't know how to do it. She said, well, you do it like anything else. You practice it. She said, you take one note, sing, a, uh, take play one note, sing a song play another note, sing, play a note until you learn how to bring them both together. She said, because if you don't learn how to bring them together, you won't be able to use your full gift. And you're going to have to know how to find out how to use your full gift. So that was something I had to learn. So all throughout my life, I feel when I look back, there were glimpses. It reminds me oftentimes of the scripture when it says um, um, in Hebrews uh, that faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I think that evidence, when you look back on different journeys, there will be certain clues that God strategically placed that you look back and said, my purpose was always with me. I just was looking for something bigger or something greater or whatever, because sometimes practicing how to coordinate, practicing how to stretch your fingers and stuff seems beneath us when we're trying to reach for something else. When oftentimes when he told Moses, he said, you know, what's in you? What is it that's in your hand already? You know, he said, the staff, he said, you're looking for something else and I've already given you whatever it is you need to be able to continue to craft your gift. So I think that many people, um, whatever their gifting is, um, I think we sometimes make it more difficult because we're looking sometimes um, using someone else's bigger picture um, and being intimidated by that instead of using that as an introduction or as a that's my first time I've seen that done before. I think I might explore that to see, you know, whatever that is. So when I look back to my life, I feel like my grandfather, my parents and other mentors, I think they were the introduction uh, to what I didn't know I could be or or to even grow into uh, for many years. Um, you touched on the importance of um, what's in your hand, looking right at what's in front of you. Why is it that we don't look within first uh, when it's time for giftings and, and purpose? We seem to, you know, think it's somewhere else. And when it's right there, it's been put in you. Well, I think it's the hot stove concept. Um, when you reach out to touch something that's hot and the first thing your parent or mentor or surrogate says to you is don't touch that. It's hot. A lot of times fear has been instilled in us because of the failure of our predecessor or the failure of someone who sometimes raised us. So oftentimes when we reach out to do things, the first thing they say is, no, you don't do that. You know, it's kind of like on Sister Act one or two, one of them, when she say, don't be coming here with those shoulda, coulda, wouldas, you know, your daddy was doing all that type of stuff, you know, and whatever. And we think because it hasn't been done, it can't be done. Um, or because we haven't seen it, it can't be uh, accomplished. Um, once again, that that um, um, phrase or launching pad that I use, tagline I use more than a preacher, I remember 
um, when I, once again, when I started preaching, I remember the leader of the church telling me that I needed to make a decision on who I was going to be. I was either going to sing or I was going to preach, but I could not do both. I could not sing. He said, you can be a singer who happens to preach, but you can, or you can be a preacher who happens to sing, but you need to decide which one is more important. And I struggled with that because I was asking, why would I have all of these giftings that I didn't ask for? Um, you know, I didn't go to school for them, you know, to develop them later. And now all of a sudden I got to choose, you know, who I need to be because, and I, I understood what he was saying. That was his limitations that were trying to be placed on me because he couldn't sing, because he couldn't play, because he didn't direct choirs, because he didn't write music, whatever act or whatever it was, you need to decide which, you know, whatever. And I think he meant, well, I don't think he was, I don't, and sometimes people, people putting on you what they think is best for you is another limitation, almost like when, when, when Saul tried to put it on David, and Saul, David was like, you know, I appreciate it. But it's not going to work for me, you know, and you have to have the ability and the confidence within yourself to say, this works for me. Um, and for a long time, I remember oftentimes I would go preach different places or speak and people would say, you know, you're going to sing. I'm like, no, you asked me to come speak, but you asked me to come preach because I had was taught in my mind. I could only do one of them. And it wasn't until I started to um, see people like um, Steve Harvey or um, Marvin Winans or Bishop Jakes or different ones that I was like, who told you that you have to just choose one particular area, you know, and that, you know, the scripture that says to whom I didn't mean to quote this many scriptures. And when it says to whom much is given, much is required. A lot of times when we're envying certain people, you know, you don't know how much is required of them to be able to be a good steward of all the different gifts that they have. You know, it's not, I'm not walking, you know, I have people sometimes walk around saying, if I could play, if I could sing, or if I could do this, I'll be walking around singing and stuff all the time. I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> we realize that the gift that we have or whatever it is, whatever giftings anyone has, it's more for others than it is for me. You know, um, you know, I'm grateful that I have this, that I'm able to create, that I'm able to um, write or to act or any of the different things I've been able to do. I'm grateful for it. But I've never looked at it from the lens of, oh, look at me. Look at what I can do. It's more of, um, and maybe that's because of I was exposed to people who have served uh, for a long time and uh, how I've been able to use it to impact other people. Um, and I'm grateful that it flows through me to be able to help other people. Well, you, you talked about something that's very powerful, and it's about, uh, I, I believe that God doesn't create leaders. He creates servants who become leaders. And um, you talked about the, the importance of your gifting and your purpose, as I'll call it for right now, uh, being bigger than you, and that your purpose and your giftings are not just for you. They are for someone else. Um, how important is serving others, uh, giving back? that type of thing. Um, how important is that when it comes to fulfilling purpose? I think purpose is attached to people. I don't think you can separate the two. Um, I per this is my personal opinion, uh, because um, even the mother who carries a child, the purpose of carrying the child is to birth the child, but the child is always tied to the mother who carried it. Her purpose was not just to, you know, um, 
you know, walk around taking pictures of her stomach, <laughs> you know, but it was, you know, there was something being formed um, that was a protection of a life. And I believe when it comes to purpose, whether you're um, a door greeter at Walmart or whether you're a counselor at the YMCA or whether you're um, the person who is the lifeguard at, um, um, at the swimming pool, all of the purpose areas are tied to someone or something like if there's if someone's drowning you need a lifeguard if someone's sick you need a nurse or a doctor if someone um is uh want you know if there is a child there is a mother or there's a father somewhere you know all of it i believe our purpose is attached to that so to sing a song you know to sing a song to myself is great uh, but to sing a song that calms someone else's storm is greater uh, to be able to play the piano for myself is wonderful but to be able to play the piano in a nursing home with people who have no visitors is greater. Um, purpose is always attached to someone else. I believe um, a business model is great, uh, but a purpose model transcends you. You know, it, it goes beyond it. The purpose will spill over into models, into business, into other things, you know. So I believe that purpose and people are always attached. You cannot separate one from the other. Well, wow, that's that's fantastic stuff there. Now, before we take a quick break and come back, you've, you've mentioned music a couple of times. And and um, I went on to uh, one of the streaming sites and because of his love might be my favorite of of the of the pieces I listened to so far from you. Um, uh, it's got a praise and worship style, but the message, I mean, it's just it's just really good. Because of his love, I What is your, what are you most proud of in terms of your accomplishments as an artist or in the area of the arts? That is a great question that I don't know the answer to. Uh, I would, my greatest accomplishment, it's hard for me to, to celebrate accomplishments when I feel like I'm still on the journey, <laughs> you know, uh, but if, you know, if I were to, throw out anything i believe when i was at kentucky state i mean i'm i'm of course obviously i'm here right now um someone told me i, I left here a few years ago um and uh, someone said you know you're the only person who left that keeps coming back <laughs> uh but i was over the gospel ensemble for many years um and i believe some of the greatest things that for me that happened musically were the things that no one heard um or no one saw um 
those things are more, I mean, the, the lives that were touched, you know, there were students who, for many of them, that classroom or that space was the only spiritual outlet that they had. Um, you know, they came from, you know, Chicago or from Detroit or from Ohio or from all these different places. And many of them were really trying to find out who they were or whatever. So those rehearsals uh, became not just teaching them a song. It became spots and places where they were figuring out um, and asking questions. You know, we used to joke oftentimes, I said, this is the only the only course that you can take on campus where you can stop in the middle of the class and pray. Um, and th- th- those to me, when I think about those students and I think about what many of them have become um, and how they graduated and gone on and um, done many different things, um, those are my greatest accomplishments. You know, uh, whether people sing my music or hear it or um, like it or dislike it, you know, I'm, you know that's fine, but it's almost like Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton said each one of her songs are her babies. So it's really difficult for us to hear someone talk bad about our children. <laughs> you know? But uh, but when it comes to those students, um, which again is attached to purpose, uh, those things matter to me more that um, one day in their life, um, when they're older or not, they'll be able to say, I'm so grateful for that room. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that that director or whatever that they will forget the songs but they won't forget the impact that's that's something that carries me through many different seasons wow all right well hey with that um and that's a fantastic place for us to take a quick break and when we come back on the other side with mario j radford we're going to talk about the importance of the arts and also um he recently gave a commencement speech at his alma mater and it was called The Gift of Now. We're going to talk about the importance of taking advantage of today and what that means to Mario and what that should mean to you. We'll be right back on Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast, right after this quick break. We hope you're enjoying Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Paralysis to Purpose for more updates. Also, check out David's website at davidcookspeaks.com to learn more about his mission and purchase his book, Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose. I, w- I want to pick up on, um, you, are, you are definitely a person who, uh, is involved in the arts. Um, and I would like to know, you know, why, why are the arts so important and, and, and reaching our youth and, and today just is why, why the arts and what, what does that mean for you? I believe that, um, undirected creativity, uh, produces chaos. Say that again. Undirected creativity creates chaos. Undirected creati- creativity creates chaos. Okay, go go, go ahead. <laughs> so what I believe is we all, um, you know, you go back to uh, young children um, who, um, you know, they're just bouncing all over the place. They won't be still or, or they're, you know, all these different things. If you don't give them a place to explore their creativity, then eventually there's chaos in the form of rebellion, in the form of not listening to teachers in a form of joining a gang in a form of violence or any of those types of things. But when I look back to um, the arts as it relates to the choir or to um, 
some of the little theater plays they would have on campus or, or uh, at school, elementary or middle school or high school or otherwise, uh, or in sports, whatever it is, um, it gives an opportunity to learn skills like um, working with the team, learning your lines, um, learning how to public speak, uh, learning how to explore, to sing, you know, any of those types of things. So I feel that when you remove the arts, so when you remove the, which sports is not arts, but when you remove those different things, um, it it breeds chaos because they have no place. So now you're saying, you know, these children, these kids, they just don't, they need to sit down, they need to do something, but we've given them no mm. channel to explore creativity. Like you, I mean, Viola Davis started somewhere, you know, um, someone had to say, you know, like I remember when the movie with Tina Turner, you know, when she was a child singing in the children's choir, you know, and they were just like, you're singing too loud, you know, but someone recognized there was a gift. There was something there that it wasn't just her trying to out sing someone. It was someone else said, all right, now let me show you what to do with that. You know, so for, I, when I look back to, um, I grew up in a very, very small church. Um, and this is for those people who are not, you know, of the faith center who are watching whatever your background was, but for my background, I grew up in a small church. And I remember when we would get up and, um, you know, maybe read the scripture or something. Um, and somebody in the back of the church would say, I can't hear you. <laughs> and I'd be like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall, I, it's not loud enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You don't sound like he's your shepherd. I mean, they would just <laughs> literally in the middle of you reading, you know, I would call it rude back then. But now I look at it as they were saying, if you're going to do something, let's tap into you. Don't get in front of people and be timid. Don't get in front of people and not know what you're doing. Like if you're going to get up there, you're going to recommend as a young African-American black man or male or whatever in this society, when you get on that microphone, have some type of passion, have what even, I remember my uh, concert choir director at Kentucky state. Um, we used to practice walking on and off the stage you know, before we did a concert on the risers, we would just walk back and forth, just like 30 minutes, walk back and forth. And he would talk to you. He was like, walk, put your head up. Or he would all the type of stuff. He would say, you could sound a mess, but you at least need to look like you're going to sing. Like we might not have, I mean, it had nothing. It was presentation, how we look and all that type of stuff. And so I believe that when you look at, at someone who might be a creative or someone who sings or, or plays or whatever they do. And we just automatically ascribe ADHD to them mm. and automatically medicate them. You have created a chaos that you don't see externally, but internally they are at war because they don't know what to do with this creativity that they have. I have this energy. I have this something inside of me that wants to bust out. I just see life and, and you put them on medication or whatever it is. And I'm not saying yay or nay against some people that have to do that. But I am saying that when you don't have the ability to give them a channel for creativity, you have set them up for chaos um, mm -hmm. that will be eventually explored in some form later on. Um, I believe that there are many people that are behind prison walls 
uh, that are really just misguided creatives who chose chaos because someone did not give them the right guidance. Wow. Well, you know, we, we talk about it and you hear a lot about safe spaces, you know, and we normally hear that uh, whether it's uh, gender related or um, race relations or sexual orientation, but it sounds like creatives, we need to make a space for them um, and welcome them as part of the community and, and really do a much better job of um, cultivating those gifts and talents and having that as an option early on in kindergarten instead of labeling Johnny as a problem. Maybe Johnny okay. needs some more crayons and some paper and a few other things to get going or a cello or whatever, right? And so it becomes important to, to not, um, uh, not write people off because, yeah. because you don't understand what they're trying to do or you don't understand who they are. But it is important to- yeah, Because when we think about it, uh, when we grow up, we say color in the lines. So it's like, you know, I'm already crafting <laughs> as far as you can go. You know, like, and so the person who does color outside the lines, they don't ever follow instructions. Maybe they see beyond the lines. Maybe they're born beyond that, you know, and we, you know, I, I agree. I mean, think of, I mean, the word creative is kind of something new that's been tagged. But you think of people like Elton John or people who were Prince and Michael Jackson, people who were, you know, way stretching and pushing boundaries and doing things that, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, people who were doing things that, you know, we were like, oh, that's, you can't do that. Who who said that? You know, there is the very, the very embryo, embryonic form of our, of our being um, is a derivative of the creative nature of God who looked out and stepped out into darkness and within himself said, I don't like this. So let there be light. He stretched the boundaries way before anyone gave permission to say, I don't like what I see. I'm coloring outside the lines. Let there be light. And everything he created, he said, now that's good. We are the only people that have to get permission for someone to like our status, share our status, comment on our status, only for us to get some internal validation to say that what we created was good. Wow. To be able to look within ourselves and to say, you know what? I like what I have created. If you like it, that's just a bonus to what I had already told myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, the, the, the importance of encouraging yourself, the importance of talking to yourself. It's interesting, you know, people don't quite understand how important it is for you to believe in you and for you to get that settled. Um, at what point in your life uh, did you come to, to understand that? Like, you know what? Your opinion is your opinion. I love me and I love what I do. Did you, was there a point in life that you kind of begin to better understand that? I would like to say I'm still on that journey. I would, I would venture to say that that's, that's a daily thing. There are, there are days that I, I really can stand in it and be like, you know what? Yes. Then there are days I'm like, uh, I don't know, you know. Um, I have learned over time, um, you know, I, I would like to say 
through the medium, and this has nothing to do with creativity, but through the medium of even having a counselor and therapy uh, stuff to learn more about me um, and to realize that um, all of that coloring outside the lines and stuff uh, was not um, me always trying to be a misfit or always trying to be a rebel or whatever, but a journey of trying to find my fit, my niche where I was or whatever, and that being more than a preacher, which really in essence means being more than a label, um, was not trying to say um, that, you know, I'm better than you. No, it was to say what I am going to do is explore every single part that is attached to me, every piece of me, whether that's creating um, songs, whether that's playing, whether that's writing, whether that's preaching, whether that's speaking, whatever that is, you know, I'm going to explore that and to be able to stand in it. Um, when the lady asked me to do, uh, the president, the acting president of Kentucky State asked me to uh, speak for that particular program at Kentucky State, um, my immediate reaction was, are you sure? <laughs> you know, I just, because my, um, my level of purview was you had to be this, you had to be that, you had to have done this, you had to accomplish this, you had to, all these different things. And for me, I was just like, I haven't reached that to be able to speak to anyone about anything academic wise for any particular reason. Um, and I had said one of the things I had written down within the last year on my vision board is that I did want to start exploring um, the opportunity to be keynote speakers at different things outside of the church and just to what would that look like so I wrote it <laughs> but I did but I didn't know how that was going to come um, but when it did uh, the opportunity did come um, the only thing I knew to draw from um, was what was authentic about me I didn't come in trying to um, say more than what my life had already been um, an example of is, you know, really exploring who you are, your unique design, and how even failures um, can be used um, in a way to benefit you uh, if you would look beyond it and grow beyond it, you know, because the fact that I did get uh, kicked out of uh, the very school that I'm sitting in right now and was expelled, uh, expelled from it and was told I can't come back because of my grades and how I thought I was going to get a degree in everything but academics. Um, but for me to have the opportunity to come back and be the uh, speaker at the baccalaureate uh, for um, you know, connected to commencement for this year's graduates, I would have never imagined that um, those failures could have been used to um, to encourage someone else or to be able to be packaged in that way. So I think that's the beauty. Um, so once again, back to how have you learned how to stand in that? It's the beauty of discovery and being okay with what I'm discovering along the way. So there's a couple of lessons in there. If you don't want it to happen, don't write it on your vision board. Uh, <laughs> and the second lesson is when you do have a vision, don't try to figure out how it's going to come to pass. Just when it comes, walk through that door and you will find that it was designed specifically for you. How did you feel after that speech? The speech, uh, I, I watched it and it was called The Gift of Now. And it was probably, you were in your element. I'm telling you right now. 
I have never heard you speak or do anything like that. Um, but you, I could tell you were, you were locked in and you were in your lane. Um, and I was like, this dude, he, he's got a gift. In every production that I was in, there was always a scene change. When the scene changes, usually the stage is dark. The stagehands are moving furniture around and many times they use what they call a small flashlight so that people know where to go. And a lot of you who are graduating tomorrow, you're at your stage and it seems dark. That your now seems dark and you're not really sure what next looks like and it may seem like you're not really sure of what to do. But I want to tell you to use the light that has been guiding you up to this point. It is the same light, the same small flashlight that has moved you through long financial aid lines. It is the same flashlight that moved you through turning in papers late and not on time. It is the same light that caused you to be able to endure eating in that wonderful cafeteria. It is the same flashlight that has guided you to be the first generation in your family to graduate tomorrow. It is that same light. And sometimes you need to remember you've got a light. Somebody say, I've got a light. And sometimes you have to remember what light you have. The first song that I learned, one of the songs I learned as a child in the children's choir is this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And even if all you have is a little light, let your light shine and don't let anybody your light for any other reason matter of fact if people don't appreciate your light get in a room where people can appreciate the light that you have what did you think about it when you were done <laughs> i'm glad it's over <laughs> 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 you know really i mean uh, really i i wanted to how i looked at it honestly is that I know this is something that I said I wanted to do one day. I didn't know when that one day was going to come. Um, but I treated it as if this is the only day I get to do it and the only time that I get to do it and I never have another opportunity. I want to go down with saying he did the best he did with that opportunity if he never speaks again for 10 other years, you know. So um, I approached it that way to say I have this. That's why I call it the gift of now. I have this moment right now. I might not ever have it again. No other college, university, corporation, or anyone may ever ask for me again. It might not be seen. It might not be whatever. But for the moments that I have, that I do have, I'm going to use it. And I'm going to thank and be. And, and what I will say was mostly attached to that was a deep sense of gratitude. I was deeply grateful to be able to one, have learned that there was a lesson in all the madness. And two, that God is such a great God of redemption. Mm. So I, I was extremely grateful. So apart from cadence and how the message was packed or whatever, in my core being was such gratitude that I would be chosen or that I would even have an opportunity in my lifetime to be able to do anything like that. So that that is when I walked off, even apart from it being done, I really sat down and said, I'm so grateful that you would give me that opportunity. Thank you. Wow. That was really the core of what I felt. That's extreme gratitude that I can't relay into words. I mean, I, I tried to approach even this, you know, with the, uh, our conversation. No one has to want to talk to you. You know, my, my grandmother used to say that on my mom's side. 
people don't have to be nice. She said, and when they are nice, they don't have to be nice to you. You know, <laughs> I, I really, um, I, I had a professor that came up to me the very next day um, and said to me, they said, I would, they said two things. They said, can I say two things to you? A professor I never talked to before, but I, I knew them, but I had never had a conversation. They said, can I say two things to you? I said, yeah. They said, one, I wish we could play your speech at the beginning of every school semester. They said, because many of our students came up to me and said, I was not coming back in the fall until I heard him. I'm coming back to school. I was going to, I didn't think I did a good job this semester, but I'm coming back. That meant more to me than any, any, I don't, anything that someone, whoever that someone is or someone's said, I'm coming back to school that. And then she said to me, she said, what I most enjoyed about your um, presentation and what I've enjoyed about, she said, because I watched you from the time you walked off the stage to even after you were, after it was over. And I was like, somebody was watching me. She said, what I've most enjoyed, she said, you seem to have such gratitude. She said, your gratitude was so contagious. She said, everyone who came to you seemed to walk away feeling such a great sense of empowerment or whatever. She said, you seem to be living in a place of gratitude. And for me, that's more of an honor than what I had on, what I looked like, if I had a haircut, it didn't have a haircut, whatever. But for someone, I, I feel like gratitude opens more doors for you than resumes can. I just, I, I just, I believe that. You know, I believe that just a sense of gratitude that when you go into every door, that even though some of us say, you know, I belong here. Yes, I belong in the room. I belong on that stage. Yes. But what got me to the stage was being grateful for every step that took me to that stage and for every step that will happen after that stage. So um, that that is really what I felt afterward, other than it was done. I was grateful for that. Um, but I, I was thinking about all the, you know, you know, my mother's a graduate of Kentucky State. Uh, my sister's a graduate of Kentucky. A graduate of Kentucky State. My son goes to Kentucky State. Um, so many mentors. I mean, there were people sitting in that room who um, were responsible. You know, who wrote me the letter that told me that I was expelled. Um, and there were people in that room who were also responsible for me finishing. Um, so there were so many people that I was grateful that. Um, all of them were used to make what is now known as Mario J. Rafford. All of it was necessary. You know, I cannot write the page of my life without including the failures and the people that were able to help me bounce back from that. You know, that it could not, and maybe it wasn't a failure. You know, it, it was necessary and purposeful to put me on that stage. There was no way I could get on the stage just saying, oh, look at all the great things I did. No, let me tell you all the great things I didn't do, but what great things happened in spite of what I didn't do. You know, so that was all of the feelings associated with that day. Uh, you know, living in a, in, a, in a space of gratitude, if you can learn to live in that space, it changes how you see everything that comes your way. And, and you will maximize and take advantage of each opportunity as if it is the only one you get. What a great way, what another great lesson for our audience is to treat the one thing that you are doing as it's the only time you get to do it. Um, that, that really changes everything. You talked about writing um, uh, the pages of your life. Let's talk about writing the pages of the book that you have. Um, you wrote a, child, a children's book. It's called What If? On one of the reviews, it says, uh, you tell an uplifting story 
of a life journey parents often make with their children as adolescents together. Um, you use the arts as part of that. It celebrates family, it's unique relationships. Um, clearly that encompasses all of who you are, but I mean, everybody doesn't start, everybody doesn't write children books. You know, how did you come to do that? Well, um, the short answer is I wrote children's, uh, children's book um, because I realized that it was easier to inspire children than adults. <laughs> so um, I didn't intend to write a children's book. I'll say that. Um, and I'm actually working on another one um, that's almost finished. I didn't intend to do that. I was just writing and um, I've written poetry, you know, as well as, you know, songs, our lyrics, you know, so I've written all the right things all the time. So I was writing and uh, thinking about my children, which is what it was inspired by. I have three children. And after um, I finished it, I said, I think I just wrote a children's book. <laughs> you know, it was literally like a, a passing thought that I was not intending to write one. Um, so after that, I just got, you know, of course, with editors and all that type of stuff, you know, just to see what to do. I, I had no clue what to do. I wasn't. And once again, I'll say this, even with the children's book and my music or any other things, I did not write it or do it or even put it out with the intention of it being a number one bestseller or any of those type of things. I did it because I was just grateful that I did it. You know, I wrote, I was like, I don't even know how I wrote that, you know, but I'm grateful that I did it. You know, of course, the next one, you know, has a little bit more intentionality than that, you know, but it was never to prove anything. Uh, it was just, it, it wasn't about, let me add author to my name. It had nothing to do with that. It was, here goes another thing. I, I think I'm gifted to do that too. Wow. It, let me write this. And uh, it was inspired by my children. The what if thing was, um, each each one of my children at different stages have come to me with what they would consider the finality, uh, the finale of their life. Um, you know, I don't think I can do this anymore. I think this is over for me. Um, whatever, and I would always, oftentimes, still today, I'm usually the what if person. Well, what if maybe you just need to pivot, or what if maybe this might be something else. So really, um, and it's, and my what ifs to them often started with what if to me, you know, like, what if that's not over? What if you're supposed to do something different? So it was more of a premise of what if there's more in you than this? I mean, maybe you don't dance anymore, but maybe you're going to create a dance again. Maybe you don't, you, I mean, whatever. It was just trying to get them to see that there could be a different route and there could be a different way then just let's not end this right now. What if you could actually be more than what you think you are? So that was the whole encompassing uh, vision of that. Wow. You know, it's, it's um, as I summarize what you had just said, I begin to hear focus on possibilities. Think about possibilities. Switch your thinking to what is what you may think is impossible. Uh, because in that arena, in that space, is where you find the possibilities. Uh, and, and when you keep thinking beyond, it's like, this is bigger than me. I, well, then that means it's probably, it could be an opportunity um, for you to, to move on with. So um, before we go, um, how important is family to you? Um, I don't think, <laughs> well, I always used to say, I say this all the time. I like um, when I take off, I do breaks from the church often. Um, I told them, I said, you know, one day on my death certificate, um, there will be something, um, but it will not say church on it. <laughs> um, and I said that to say that, that I've seen so many people 
on the front row um, of the funeral and realizing that they don't know the person in the casket um, because they gave so much of themselves to their entity, their enterprise or whatever. And even though I know it's, it's a delicate balance that I learn all the time and I, you know, I fail in something every day. Hopefully the goal is not failing in the same thing every day. Um, but um, I want to make sure that whatever outlives me or whatever was also um, produced out of family. You know, um, I don't have many stories that don't attach themselves somewhat to some aspect of family. And, you know, whether that's my parents or my, my children, uh, my household, wife, you know, anything, it's, it's all connected somewhere and um they are extensions um of not just who i am but who i've become as well as what i've been allowed to do um so um yeah my youngest son uh, he plays basketball uh, which is not an extension of me at all um that's all his mom um but he has music side as well which is an extension of me he plays when he practices um he sings and does all this stuff and then my middle son he plays the drums he's he's creating his own um band actually um him and his girlfriend and my my daughter um she's um has her own um shop where she does different things with clothing and re um i don't even know how to say the right word and I'm, if she was watching this she would really be proud of me right now <laughs> but she does different things with that you know and now she's getting involved back in dance and ballet and all that so all of them um to see how they've all evolved and grown and continue to grow um and continue to excel um you know all this extensions of of a family i can't i couldn't exist without that that great blessing well um you already have touched upon the importance of partnerships and perseverance and perspective, but I do want to give you, as I do all of our listeners, an opportunity to to respond. As I as I say each one of these words, um, tell me what you think um, when you hear the word perspective. The area of how you view or see or understand. Um, whatever that might be. So when you say my um, perspective on something is, it's basically the lens of which you view it. Um, and sometimes the lens of which you view it can be based on your own um, exposure or your own experience. Um, so uh, we have to make sure that when we're blending a perspective, that is also um, balanced with I'm also giving you this perspective based on my set of experiences that have shaped who I am that make me believe, you know, like for instance, um, uh, my perspective about Kentucky might be based on the fact that I'm a native here, you know, so what I can tell you might be based on that perspective versus someone else who comes in is a, a transplant moved here. Their perspective might be as an outsider who has been engrafted in, you know, and now seeing things from a different, uh, different uh, lens. Uh, so that that would be my take on perspective. Perseverance. When you hear the word perseverance, uh, what what is that to you? The ability to not quit, to be able to endure, the ability to pivot, the ability to be able to to last. Um, which I believe is sometimes a dying art sometimes is that we have sometimes a time where everybody wants to stop, you know, and I can't take it anymore, but to persevere, um, to have the ability to take whatever comes at you 
and to either use it as a launching pad to grow from or use it as a death sentence to bury yourself in. But to to persevere is to continue to uh, to last and to grow. Um, I believe the greatest gift that we can give um, what we are tied to, whether that be purpose or whatever, is perseverance. It's to last, um, to uh, for people to constantly see you um, evolve and grow. And finally, uh, the importance of partnerships on the journey from paralysis to purpose. What do partnerships mean? Once again, you have no purpose without people. Um, so there is no purpose. There is no purpose without people who create partnerships. So the PPP, you know, uh, the purpose. In order for me to to really maximize my full purpose, I need a person or I need people. In order for me to to um, take that greater, I need partnership. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm a part of the uh, one of the greatest fraternities, the greatest fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, um, is that it's great for me to say who I am on my own. But it's a greater thing for me to say who I am connected to a larger, greater partnership of brothers, um, that I am an extension of a great brotherhood that just doesn't end with me. Um, it's uh, continued through me, through partnership. Um, and I believe we can go further, faster with partnership, um, that each one of us brings something to the table. Um, you might have the brain. I might have the um, creativity. You might have, you know, there's all of us that we can learn. And I believe that's really, really uh, as it relates to um, uh, social justice issues or uh, spiritual issues or any of those educational things, if we would really um, stop fighting each other and realize that we all would be stronger together. And we don't have to agree on everything, but we're stronger together. We're created for community and partnership. That's our whole essence, a whole very beginning of time said it is not good that man should be alone. Let us create a partner for him so that he might be able to do greater things. Every animal that came on the, the ark, bring them two by two, that they might be able to, to have the ability to multiply in partnership. How much greater things would we be able to do if we would stop tearing each other down and saying, I don't think they deserve that. Whether they do or they don't, I'm so glad they got there. <laughs> you know, So partnership, I believe, is very important to purpose. Well, before we uh, sign off, um, what's next for you? Do you have, a, I know you're working on a book. Any new music? What's, you know, what's next for you? I mean, you, you're uh, more than a preacher. What What's going to be the next thing that I need to be watching out for you from? Well, um, I can't tell you all of that. I don't know what all is to come. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for it. I, I have, um, I've been helping people recently with life insurance. So I've done that. Um, I am I am working on music, yes, uh, to be able to um, put out another project because that was that project that was released in 2012 was actually released in 2010. I just repackaged it, pulled it and put it back out. So it's actually been like 12 years since I've done an actual complete project. I'm grateful for the different um, singles I've done. But yes, I do want to have a complete project done, hopefully by um my birthday of next year that's the goal that is the plan which should be february um and then um finishing this children's book that i've been writing forever and ever and ever so that i can finally finish it and realize that the children will not nearly be as critical of me as their parents will be uh, so <laughs> to be able to do that and uh, so just some other entrepreneurial things and um, um just continue to explore 
you know, continue to sharpen my skills. Um, come out with another season of my podcast, uniquely designed in the fall. Um, hopefully, have some more speaking engagement somewhere, um, wherever that looks like, and wherever that goes, uh, wherever that explores. So, I'm just excited about whatever it looks like as far as continuing to explore the whole more than a preacher brand. If people want to follow you, what is the best way <laughs> for them to do that? Well, I am on all uh, social media platforms, most of them, whether it be Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you can follow me on the Mario J. Radford, even Snapchat, uh, Mario J. Radford. Um, and then my website is MarioJRadford.com. All right. You know, I uh, appreciate you doing that for us. Mario J. Radford, not Bradford. It's Radford. Make sure you guys check him out. This has been a great time. I want to thank you for being with us uh, today, Mario. And until the next episode of Paralysis, the Purpose, the Podcast, I'm David Cooks reminding you that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. You can do anything you put your mind to. Thanks for tuning in to Paralysis to Purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paralysis to Purpose on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. To purchase his book, visit davidcooksspeaks.com. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspiring conversations with David Cooks. There's a picture out there of me sitting on this dilapidated shack porch that I lived in with my wife and two kids. That was all I could afford because the other money I made, I had to buy my drugs with. And he was hugging me. And I remember you can tell just like, I was so red in the head from just like ugly crying into this complete stranger's neck. He didn't care. He just hugged me tighter. And uh, I needed a hug, man. And. Arno's the one that gave me the hug. Next time on Paralysis to Purpose. I'm excited to have Chris Buckley with us here today. And then Arno told me about his experience. With a sober mind can always come a sober heart. Like To think that this was like this really happy and, and happy ending story, it wasn't. It was ugly. There was, I pulled a gun on Arno. I, I got so angry with him that, that I said the most hurtful things because I wanted to push him away. And I had become just as addicted to the hate as I was to the meth and to the heroin and to the substances. Oh, paralysis to purpose.